With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2020 MLB season will be won like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. As Jake Asman does terrific work with Sportsmap Radio, he's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be looking at first couple weeks of the season, the dominance of the New York Yankees. Some of these teams have been coming off of COVID-19. Some of the teams have surprised in a good slash bad way as well. So we're going to have a quality chat in the second segment. In the final segment, going to give you guys a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for Thursday in the MLB as we touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions. If there's something that you'd like me to answer, figure it into my timeline at Jaren's41. If you send these in via direct message, aka DM, well, letters DM to me mean does not matter. I did have quite a few of you guys asking me about doubleheaders, so I'm going to dive into that first. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. We saw two doubleheaders in the big leagues on Wednesday, so I had a lot of people asking me if I put any stock into these doubleheader trends because... We remember back in the 2018 season, I think it was something like an 80% clip in which the team that lost the first game wound up winning the second game. That was an absolutely crazy one. There are so many people I referenced that ever since like the 2010 season, about 50 plus percent of these doubleheaders have been sweeps and everything like that. As one of these things where you can have all the historical data that you want. I remember there was someone that I was talking to on Twitter that was bringing up an article from 2011. And to that I say, why are we looking at 2011 doubleheader trends when this is 2020? 2020 is so different for doubleheaders than it was before because all of these doubleheaders trends that you have right now, they are from when you had nine inning doubleheaders. Now when you shrink it down to seven, there's a chance that if you get the right team, like the Philadelphia Phillies almost wound up doing it. They weren't able to quite do it, but they almost were able to. If you have just two dominant starters, you might not need to go to your bullpen for a single out in these doubleheaders. We saw Trevor Bauer pitch a complete game in his start in a doubleheader for the Cincinnati Reds on Sunday. So it is one of these things where when you take a look at doubleheader trends, you just look at the matchup and the matchup itself. You don't just say, ah, Team X wound up losing game one. I have to fire in on game two or anything like that. No, let the matchups dictate how you bet it. Just because, let's just throw out there for an example, the Washington Nationals and the Milwaukee Brewers are playing a doubleheader. Let's say that the Washington Nationals wind up winning game one of the doubleheader and in game two of the double dip, the 
Milwaukee Brewers, who don't have a lot of starting pitching, they're going to be trotting out there like a pseudo-opener in that spot, and he's going to be going up against Patrick Corbin, one of the more reliable starters that you're going to find out there in the National League. Does this mean that because the Milwaukee Brewers lost Game 1 in a game of which you can clearly see on paper they should be absolutely dominated, and you just blindly take the Milwaukee Brewers just because they lost Game 1, that'd be absolutely stupid. I have no idea why we'd be taking a look at that. I have no idea how you can use nine-inning baseball trends for seven-inning games. It's just something that makes absolutely no sense to me. If you have doubleheader trends, I would say just completely toss them out the window because seven-inning games versus nine-inning games are completely different. It's like trying to handicap college basketball, which is 40 minutes, versus pro basketball, which is 48 minutes. You just can't really do it in my opinion. I know that maybe the College of Pro Basketball example I gave might be a little bit extreme, but you're just evaluating two completely different games in my opinion. So if you've got these doubleheader trends from past years, I would say don't roll with it. Just go with the matchup and the matchup itself. That should be what dictates your bets. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Try to find some trends and we saw a very big under trend and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. I should just retire on top right now for my New York Post plays because the Milwaukee Brewers and Chicago White Sox were my New York Post play of the day on Wednesday. I gave out the under. It is impossible to get a lower scoring game than this if it's an official game that actually has a winner and a loser. one nothing. the Milwaukee Brewers were able to get the win in this one. Both these teams were about as lost as you would be in the Arctic without a compass. With the Milwaukee Brewers, you wound up getting Orlando Arcia, who wound up being able to give the team a hit. He's hitting a 350, but past that, absolutely nothing. Adrian Hauser now has went, I believe, 13 out of his last 14 starts, giving up three runs or fewer. Seven scoreless innings in this one. And then from there, Josh Hader was able to get the save, and the setup man, David Phelps, was able to do a solid job. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, Dallas Keuchel, a tough luck loser. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. He he did a very solid job of them for two hours of relief. You had Cody Hewer, just absolutely no offense whatsoever in this game for either team. And it was a very easy Milwaukee Brewers win and under. We saw the double dip between the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Yankees be vastly different game one to game two. In game one, J.A. Happ looked absolutely hapless. He winds up giving up four runs in the third inning to the Philadelphia Phillies. He gets knocked out early as he winds up going three innings, giving up those four runs. Six walks in the process. Bullpen from there, headlined by Mr. Nick Nelson. They wind up giving up seven runs, six of which were earned over the course of four innings as the Philadelphia Phillies take it 11-7. And for the New York Yankees, they were down quite a bit going into the ninth inning and they wind up generating four runs. They were able to get a pair of bombs. Aaron Judge is seventh of the campaign. That leads the MLB and you had the Brett gardner Guardy party wind up getting his third of the year. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Bryce Harper and JT Riyamuto both get their second home run of the year for Aaron Wheeler. He winds up going six innings, giving up three runs, two of which were earned. And then the bullpen runs were given up by Austin Davis. He gives up four while recording a out, so that was not necessarily great. And then in game two for the Philadelphia Phillies, just not a lot of offense generated. The New York Yankees get a 3-1 to one win. Jonathan Loisga wound up getting the start for what was essentially a bullpen game. He records seven outs, he gives up one run in the process, but then you had Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Chad Green, and Luis Avilan all go a combined four and two-thirds innings. They don't even as much as give up a hit. They were very dominant, and for the New York Yankees, you had Luke Voigt being able to give the team a home run, his fourth of the season and for the Yankees. They get two runs in the seventh inning as they were able to get the base is loaded there, and I think that I just called the last inning of that first double tip. Ninth inning instead of seventh inning, that shows you just how new everything is. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were done in by the fact that they removed Aaron Nola going into the seventh inning. He went six strong, punched out 12. He did give up that home run, but by and large, he did a very solid job. And then from there, you wind up bringing in Mr. Tommy Hunter. He winds up giving up both those runs. He gave up four hits without recording a single out, so Adam Morgan from there had to wind up trying to put out the fire with the bases loaded, so obviously that was not ideal, and the Philadelphia Phillies wind up going one seven with men in scoring position. It was just a complete fish fry out there in the double dip only. It wasn't the fish I was getting fried. It was the Baltimore Orioles. In game one of this doubleheader, the Baltimore Orioles wind up getting shut out again by a count of 1-0. to For the Baltimore Orioles, they would, oh, by the way, go 22 straight innings in this series without getting a single run. For the Miami Marlins in game one, Brett Anderson, he was able to hit his second home run the campaign. That was the lone form of offense. Eliezer Hernandez winds up going four and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up 
Two hits and no runs in the process. Meanwhile, Richard Blyer, Brandon Kitzler, along with Nick Vincent, were able to close the door from there. And then for the Baltimore Orioles in Game 2, they wound up getting a decent start out of Asher Wojciechowski. They wind up getting one run on the board, but it wasn't enough as you wound up having for the Baltimore Orioles one run in this game, one run in their last 23 innings. They lose by a count of 2-1. to one. Jesus Aguiar was able to give the team an RBI in this one. And Josh A. Smith wound up being able to get the start. You wound up having Sterling Sharp get five outs for the Miami Marlins. No, not the former Green Bay Packers wide receiver. And then you also had in this game, Justin Schaefer give up the lone run for the Miami Marlins. You also had Tanner Scott give an inning of relief for the Baltimore Orioles. But for the Orioles, they wound up leaving a grand total of 12 men on base in this seven inning double dip across both games. And I believe that they wound up going one of four with men in scoring position in both those games. So certainly not ideal. It certainly was not ideal offense for the Kansas City Royals as they wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs by kind of 6-1. For the Cubs, they were able to get two runs in the eighth and two runs in the ninth. And you can tell that Mr. Craig Kimbrell has fallen a little bit out of favor as for the Chicago Cubs, they were able to get seven strong innings out of you Darvish. He winds up being able to give up one run in those seven innings. Jeremy Jeffries winds up getting the hold. And then you wound up having Mr. Colin Rhea, who had last pitched in the major leagues in 2016, holding down the fourth and the ninth inning, and for the Kansas City Royals, Chris Bubich was open to set a booby trap, and he wasn't too bad. Six innings, he gives up two runs. Bullpen from there wasn't necessarily great. Ian Kennedy winds up giving up two runs, and both of those were unearned runs, as there was a pair of errors by the Kansas City Royals. Jake Newberry was the victim of an unearned run as well, so that certainly hurt the team, and for the Chicago Cubs, now 10-2 and on the year, though. They've only covered the run line in, I believe, five of those wins. A team that's doing a very good job of being able to cover the run line whenever they do wind up being able to get victories. That would be the L.A. Dodgers. Though they did not do so on this night as they wound up giving up a couple runs late. 7-6 to six of final as for the LA Dodgers. Things got started with a Jock Peterson home run. That is his second of the campaign. Also going deep for the LA Dodgers. He wound up having Jock Peterson go once again for his third home run of the campaign. And for the Dodgers, Ross Stripling. Not necessarily his best start, but it was good enough to get the win. He gives up four runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Bullpen from there, Caleb Ferguson and Kenley Jansen both give up a run in their inning of relief. Though you were able to get a scoreless inning out of Blake Tryon, who has been pretty solid for this team. And for for the San Diego Padres, Garrett Richards was certainly not on his game in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs. And then from there, you wound up having two innings of relief from Luis Petino. I believe that this was his first ever appearance. 20-year-old gentleman that wound up coming in for two innings, gives up three runs in the process. Matt Strain was able to hold things down along with Javi Guerra. And for the San Diego Padres, if you saw the home run dance for Fernando Tatis Jr., he hit just an absolute bomb for his fourth of the campaign. It was actually quite fun. And then Will Myers also got his fourth home run in the campaign. So so there was that. And for the San Diego Padres, they're actually in the top five when it comes to runs per game scored, but they certainly have been on a little bit of a skid. I believe that they have now lost five out of their last seven. A team that is also on a little bit of skid, that would be the Washington Nationals. Now that they not only lose to the New York Mets by a count of three to one, but Max Scherzer got the start in this one. He left after an inning. As of right now, as of what I'm doing this podcast, I have no idea what's wrong with him. I have no idea if he's just distraught, if he had some sort of an injury, but he wound up going one inning. Eric Fetty, who I think was supposed to start in a few days, he wound up having to give three innings of relief. He gave up a run in the process, and Sean Doolittle gave up a run out of the bullpen. But, I mean, you have to give the Nationals credit. They unexpectedly had to get eight innings out of their bullpen. They gave up two runs, and they were going up against Rick Porcello, and Rick Porcello all of a sudden looked pretty significantly good. He winds up getting his 150th career win, seven innings pitch. He gives up one run. This after he entered into the start with a 13.50 ERA for the campaign. Seth Lugo was able to give you a two-inning save. Really the only guy in the New York Mets bullpen that you could trust. And for the Mets, they wind up going 2 of 12 with men in scoring position. They weren't able to really scratch across much with that regard. And for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that just has not been able to generate a lot of offense. They wind up leaving three men on base. If you're taking a look at the Washington Nationals in general, they've actually been a pretty solid under team so far as they have played six out of their last seven games to the under, and you're just noticing in general in baseball that the unders are hitting because the Tuesday games wound up seeing four overs to nine unders, and then when you take a look at what all transpired on Wednesday. I believe that there was five overs and 11 unders. So certainly scoring has happened under premium. And that was with the under hitting at a 55.7% clip 
going into Wednesday's games as well. So that certainly was a trend. And how about a trend of the Minnesota Twins hitting the under? Six out of their last seven games have went under. They wind up taking down the Buckos by a count of 5-2. And this one for the Minnesota Twins, they had a four-run outburst in the ninth inning to be able to get some cushion. Max Kepler was able to get a home run, his fourth of the campaign. And Randy Dobnik all of a sudden forming himself as a good starter. Three starts for him so far this year. 0-60 ERA, six scoreless in this one. And then from there, you did wind up having two runs given up out of the bullpen out of Jorge Alcala. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Trevor Williams actually had the best ERA in the big leagues in the second half of the 2018 campaign. They look good in this one. Tough luck loser as he wound up going seven innings. He gave up one run. Bullpen did not help him out. Jeff Hartley, along with Davideus, Nivaraskis wind up both giving up two runs apiece out of the pen. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, if you're looking for a good sign, Josh Bell gets his second home run of the campaign. That came in the ninth inning in a little bit of garbage time. If you're looking for a good sign with the Boston Red Sox, they wind up holding down the Tampa Bay Rays 5-0. They were able to get the win in this one. As for the Boston Red Sox, the team total over has cash in eight out of their last 12 games for the opponent, and in this one, it certainly did not, as Martin Perez was able to somehow, way navigate through three walks and four hits through five innings, and then from there, Colton Brewer, Austin Bryce, Matt Barnes, and Brandon Workman were all able to give the team a scoreless inning, and none of those guys gave up any hits whatsoever, so they were able to do a solid job for the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that their offense is a skid mark on the underpants of baseball. It certainly has not been good. 0-7 with runners in scoring position. They wind up stranding seven men on base, and if you're taking a look at a hot undertrend. Each out of the Tampa Bay Rays last three games have wound up going under. If you're taking a look just overall, I believe that now five out of their last seven games have at the very least been a clear under. You may have gotten a push or two depending on your closing number as well. As for Ryan Yarbrough, just completely shelled in this one. Gives up five runs over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there, they wind up all being able to give scoreless innings. Jalen Beeks along Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado, and Adam Kittredge. But for the Boston Red Sox, going deep in this one, Alex Verdugo with his first as a Boston Red Sox player, and then Michael Chavis was able to go deep for his second. You had no deep balls for the Toronto Blue Jays, but they were able to take down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 2-1. to one. For the Toronto Blue Jays, they were able to get a terrific start out of Hinjin Ru after he had given the team two duds in his first two starts in Toronto. I guess technically Buffalo. He wound up going five scoreless in this one. Bullpen from there, they were all able to do a pretty solid job. He did wind up having Mr. Thomas Hatch give up a run out of the bullpen, but by and large, they were able to do their job. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that they just weren't able to get a lot of hits in general. And for Sean Newcomb, he winds up giving up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Josh Shomlin, Shane Green, Chris Martin, and A.J. Minter wound up combining for four and a third scoreless innings from there. But this was just another game in which you saw the under wind up cashing in. There just wasn't a whole lot of offense to be had on either side. The Cleveland Indians have played now 12 out of their first 13 games of the under. They wind up shutting down the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 2-0. to zero. For the Cincinnati Reds, just nothing doing in this game. They get a grand total of three hits. Mike Clevenger was absolutely terrific. He got into one jam in this game early, but he winds up going five and two-thirds innings. Did issue five walks, but he was able to get four punch outs. No runs given up. And then from there, the bullpen of the team, Oliver Perez, Jake Karnick, along with Brad Hand, they were able to give the team three and a third scoreless inning. So they certainly were able to do their part with that regard. And for the Cleveland Indians, the big form of offense in this game, Cesar Hernandez was able to give the team an RBI. He's hitting a 302. You have nobody else in this lineup hitting above a 277. And quite frankly, you have two guys currently hitting above a 240. So it certainly has been a little bit of rough sledding there. It certainly was rough sledding for the Arizona Diamondbacks on offense prior to Wednesday, but they have a nine-run outburst in the fourth inning. They destroy the Houston Astros by a count of 14 to 7. For the Astros, Lance McCullers goes three and two-thirds innings, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned. And then the three relievers that came in for the Houston Astros, they all gave up at least a run. Carlos Sanbria winds up giving up two runs in his one inning. You wind up having Brendan Bailey come into this game. Two and a third innings, he gave up one run. He was able to do a solid job. And then Nivaldo Rodriguez, he winds up giving up three runs in an inning as well. And this, despite the fact that the Houston Astros were able to get online with their offense. Yoli Gurriel, his second home run of the year. Abraham Toro, someone who struggled... He gets his first. Kyle Tucker gets his first. And then George Springer is third as for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray gets a win. I don't know how much he deserved it. He gives up six runs over the course of five innings. He has not been good this year. ERA north of a nine. But from there, the bullpen was actually pretty solid. Hector Rondon winds up giving up a run. But you had Juan Lopez along with Mr. Guerra and Kevin Ginkle all being able to give the team scoreless innings. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, 
Eduardo Escobar winds up being able to give the team his first home run of the campaign. That is certainly a welcome sight there. You also had Nick Ambad being able to get his first, Cole Calhoun his second, and then David Peralta was able to go deep as well. So a big day for the Arizona Diamondbacks offense. And it was also a big day for the Oakland A's offense as they're a team that wound up having 70 plus percent of their games to begin the year go under. They wind up playing an over on Wednesday and they take down the Texas Rangers by a count of 6-4. The Oakland A's were trailing going into the bottom of the seventh inning, but they were able to get a couple home runs to be able to put this one out of reach. Matt Olson, two home runs in this one. His second and third of the campaign, Ramon Lorena was able to provide a home run. That is his third of the season. And then the backup catcher, Austin Allen, he winds up getting his first and this was in relief of Sean Manea, who did not have it on this day. Three and a third innings, gives up four runs, all of which were earned, but Birch Smith how about some good long relief here? Three and a third innings of scoreless baseball. Didn't give up a single hit. TJ McFarland was able to come in, and then Joaquin Soria gets a five-out save. And for the Texas Rangers, Kyle Gibson, not bad, not great. Three runs given up over the course of six innings. And then the bullpen, they wind up gas canning it. Luke Farrell wound up giving up a home run in the eighth inning. And then Ian Gibout, he winds up having a bout with not pitching very well. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of an inning. He didn't get three strikeouts, but it really is beside the point. And then Sinchu Chu, he was able to get a home run his third of the campaign. That came off of Sean Manea. So that was a little bit of a welcome sign for Texas Rangers team that they have not necessarily been hitting the best so far this year. And speaking of a team that has been doing a good job of being able to make sure that teams don't hit the best, that'd be the Colorado Rockies. The pitching wasn't bad on this one, but the offense needed a little bit more. 4-3. to three, The San Francisco Giants were able to cool down a hot Rockies team that entered into Wednesday 8-2 and two for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon Belt wound up having a big three-run home run in this game. His first of the campaign. That was off of Gray. And for John Gray, he was seeing 55 shades of gray. He winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of six innings. 55 is his jersey number, by the way. And then from there, the bullpen was pretty soft for this team. Daniel Bard, along with Estevez and Tyler Kinley, they were all able to give a scoreless inning, but for the San Francisco Giants, Logan Webb was pretty solid. He winds up going five innings. He gives up two runs, but only one, which was earned. The bullpen winds up giving up one run. Tony Watson wound up giving up one, but you also had a trio of guys in Caleb Bargar, Tyler Rogers, and Trevor Gott being able to give scoreless innings, so they were able to get it done there. And then the night was wrapped up by the Seattle Mariners being able to get a win over the LA Angels by a count of 7-6. Certainly some fireworks in this one as Max Stassi gets his third home run on the campaign. That came off of one Marco Gonzalez. And then Mike Trout being able to go deep twice was nice as well. In two games back off of paternity leave, he has three home runs. He took Mr. Gonzalez deep for his third home run on the campaign. And then later he was able to get his fourth off the bullpen. And then David Fletcher was able to get his second. The one problem was Julio Teran did not necessarily give a lot of length in his start. He he winds up giving up two runs over the course of two and a third innings. And then you wind up having a trio of bullpen guys that wind up giving up some runs. The most notable, no Ramirez. He said no to a win as he winds up giving up three runs and records two outs. Matt Andres, he winds up giving up one run over the course of three innings. So that was not necessarily bad. And then Ryan Bucker, he winds up giving up one run while recording it out. And for the Seattle Mariners, they had a little bit of a deep ball working as well with Kyle Seeger, his second of the campaign. And then for Kyle Seeger, he wound up getting three RBI in this game. He now has 14. And for Marco Gonzalez, despite giving up three home runs, they were all solo shots, so he was able to give the team seven innings. That's big because the Seattle Mariners bullpen is not necessarily good, as that was highlighted by Taylor Williams, giving up three runs over the course of an inning, but the Seattle Mariners were able to get the job done after they had played, I believe, three straight unders. They're back on the over train as they have played now eight overs so far this baseball season. So that's what we all noticed from the MLB on Wednesday. Now let's talk to Jake Asman about his thoughts from the first two or so weeks of the season, just his thoughts on how we might be able to see a little bit of an unbalanced schedule, how things are just changing on the fly, and some of the teams that have surprised in a good slash bad way. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Cousin. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This man does a great job as a radio show host out there with what is now known as Sports Map Radio. It used to be SB Nation Radio. They recently made the switch over, and he is the host of the Jake Asman Show, which you can hear if you're on the East Coast, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on weekdays out here on the West Coast. That is 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific. He does a great job with that, and you can follow him on Twitter at Easy Enough, Jake Asman, and that last name is spelled A-S-M-A-N. Jake, always great to have you aboard, my friend. How are you? 
Great. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you're staying safe. Always great to be with you. It is always terrific to have you aboard as well. And I know that you're someone that hails from New York, so you have got to be loving the start that the New York Yankees are off to. They wind up starting 8-1 and one going into the double dip that we had on Wednesday. And this is a team that it just feels like they've got all the elements to be able to destroy in any season. And I think we're going to see it with this season. Even though the 60-game season is going to cause for a little bit more crazy this than normal, I do think that the cream is going to rise to the top. And when you take a look at it, whether it's 162 games, 60 games, or 25 games, I would have the Yankees at the, as a favorite, and so far, so good. Yeah, I mean, I think coming in, they were probably the prohibitive favorites to come out of the American League, and it was probably a toss-up between them and the Dodgers. And so far, you know, almost two weeks in, I think the Yankees have proved why so many people thought they were going to be so good, right? I mean, they're deep a one through nine in their lineup. I mean, the Yankees have guys coming off their bench that would start, you know, for most major league teams. You know, Mike Tockman's an everyday outfielder that really doesn't see a whole lot of playing time. Miguel Andujar should have won the rookie of the year two years ago. And, you know, last year he missed the entire season with an injury. So people forget how good he is. He doesn't even play. And then you look at, you know, some of the other players that they can mix and match, whether it be Mike Ford and Luke Voigt and so on and so forth, they're so deep one through nine in their lineup. You factor in how good their bullpen is, even with, you know, the unfortunate injury to Tommy Canely. They're, they haven't even had a role as Chapman back, their, their top closer. He had COVID and is working his way back right now. So they're not even at full strength. And, you know, yet they sit here with the best record in baseball. And obviously, you know, they have arguably the best pitcher in the game and Garrett Cole, and he might be 3-0, Greg, but watching each of his starts, I think he's just kind of scratched the surface. He's been good for Garrett Cole standards. He has not been great yet, and yet he is still pitching to a 2-5 ERA and hasn't lost a start. So, yeah, I mean, the Yankees, you know, they were loaded with talent for a reason. The expectations were high for a reason, and, you know, with the 60-game season, that sense of urgency getting off to a fast start was so important, and they've been able to do just that here in 2020. I totally agree with you, and they've been able to overcome just some strangeness in general. You've got the whole COVID situation that has been wreaking havoc on the MLB, and I certainly do think that that's one of the headlines for this year. We saw the teams that wound up going, coming off of COVID on Monday, both the Philadelphia Phillies and the Milwaukee Brewers, they just didn't necessarily look right in their games against the Chicago White Sox for the Milwaukee Brewers, and then also you had the Philadelphia Phillies going up against the New York Yankees. Now, it's also one thing when you're the Philadelphia Phillies and coming off of a week off, you have to face off against Garrett Cole. It's like, well, there's a nice big old surprise for you right there. But with that said, I do think that it is certainly going to have a big effect on the season. And what we see now is these seven inning double headers. And I think it just completely changes the game because if you wind up having one of these seven inning double headers like the Yankees, had on Wednesday, it really bodes well for these teams that they've got these couples dominant starting pitchers. Like when Marcus Stroman is healthy, the New York Mets could just trot out there Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman, and you just have those two guys go out there, and you don't even probably need to use your bullpen in either of those games for the Washington Nationals. Obviously, Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer, they could give you those seven innings. I think that this is just having such a massive effect on the season. And it's one of these things that nobody could have seen coming because we didn't know there'd be seven inning doubleheaders until the season actually began. Right. And I think the advantage is going to be the team with the best starting pitcher on those days. I mean, you kind of you went through it there. You know, seven innings is way different than a full nine. And the fact that, you know, we didn't know this was coming till midway through the start of the season just kind of tells you that baseball is trying to figure it out you know, as they go along here. And, you know, there's no playbook for operating your sport in a pandemic and baseball is trying to, you know, figure it out. while keep their season afloat and prevent another outbreak from happening with another club. I totally agree with you, as we do have Jake Asman of Sports Map Radio joining me on the podcast. And then when you just take a look at how this is going to affect the races in general, I know that there's been a lot of speculation as to what happens if you don't wind up getting 60 games. And I do think that it is going to be a really sticky situation. We've heard about win percentage. I know that that was used in, I think it was a 1981 strike shortened year where teams didn't wind up playing an equal amount of games. Obviously, the Miami Marlins, they've got a whole bunch of games to make up. The Philadelphia Phillies, they're behind the eight ball as well. They wind up playing a double dip on Wednesday. But I do think that it is one of these things in which, yeah, really, in my opinion, if baseball was in the best interest of everyone, maybe lengthen out the season a week longer, just try to get in some of those games. I think that that would really be the best way to go about it. Obviously, you want to prevent a second wave and everything like that, like they're fearing. But, I mean, let's face it, right now we're on wave number one, 
And if you wind up just lengthening it out, not necessarily like into like December or anything like that, but maybe just a week, I think that would bode the best for player safety. And then you get the most pure result possible because with these seven inning double headers, it almost just doesn't feel like it's a major league baseball game anymore, in my opinion. First off, there's no guarantee they even get to, you know, the end of the regular season. I really think we're another big outbreak with another club, you know, if another club deals with what the Marlins went through where the 18 of their guys, you know, get the virus and they can't play for a week. And then the issue is not necessarily one team getting it. It's the effect that that team gets it. You know, you look at the Yankees last week, they were impacted, you know, by the Marlins because they were supposed to play the Phillies and the Phillies, they just played the Marlins and the Yankees had to have their entire schedule you know, worked around and postponed. And then you have the Cardinals situation. Affects the team that, you know, the team that's dealing with the outbreak is about to play, the team they just played. You know, on Friday night, as an example, you had 20% of Major League Baseball not playing because games being postponed. So, you know, I really think we're another big outbreak away from, you know, this season being canceled. So who knows if we even get that far? I do think we could be looking at a scenario where, you know, they're going to try and have every team play 60 games. But if one team ends up only getting a chance to play 54 games or 55 games because there's just not enough time in the schedule to make it up, it's going to complicate things for the playoffs. So I have to just go by winning percentage, I guess, at that point. But it's a different season. It's not what we're accustomed to seeing. And obviously, you know, because they did expand the playoffs, taking 16 teams, that kind of gives teams that get off to a slow start or teams that deal with a bunch of COVID players on their roster – it gives them a chance to still make the playoffs if they're you know, not playing how we're accustomed to seeing these certain teams play. So I do think the playoff expansion will be key in regards to just the uncertainty with the schedule moving forward. And I think bigger than that, it's who slash what team winds up getting infected as well. Because with the Miami Marlins winding up getting infected, everyone's just like, oh, it's just the Miami Marlins. Who cares if it would have been the L.A. Dodgers, if it would have been even more of a blue bud team that maybe has a bigger fan base, but is scuffling a little bit like maybe the San Francisco giants, like the Boston Red Sox, obviously the New York Yankees are having a great year. I think things might be a little bit different right now. And who knows if we're playing, if it's one of those teams rather than the Miami Marlins as well, because with the Marlins, obviously they are a baseball team. And I know that there are people listening to this podcast that they are fans of the Miami Marlins. But with that said, they just don't get the respect that, Many of these blue blood teams wind up getting like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, what have you. It's just complicated for baseball this year. I don't really know if there's a you know a right way to do it. I mean, there was no scenario where they were going to do a bubble. I think, you know, everyone blaming Manford for the lack of a bubble. It's misguided. I mean, the players didn't want it either. So, you know, I'm just trying to do a baseball in a bubble. You know, in fairness to baseball, you know, I don't think they'd ever imagined when they shut down the season in March that we'd be here in, you know, early August, still dealing with the wave of this virus that in a lot of retrospects, it kind of does feel like we're still in the month of March at times. So you, know, you just combine everything that's happening with the country and baseball trying to play through. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be hiccups along the way. You know, it just goes back to what we said. They just cannot have another massive outbreak on a club because that could do enough damage where the sport does get canceled for the remainder of the season. I do agree with you as we have Jake Asman joining me on the podcast. It's something that is so different with this year as compared to past years as well as the fact that we're seeing these starters not going as long as well. Now the value of someone like a Garrett Cole, it's even more magnified because how many starts have we seen this year from these pitchers that have been like three innings or fewer? It has to be at an all-time high. And now you're bringing in these bullpen arms, but with some of these guys, they're guys that are probably people that probably wouldn't be on the roster in a normal year because you've got the expanded roster. So when you get into the bullpen, you bring a guy number 27, 28, 29. It's not quite the same quality. And I feel like this is the one year in which the hitters are out in front of the pitchers. Now, you could say that to the Cleveland Indians. They certainly have not been able to put runs up on the board, and the Minnesota Twins are doing a great job of pitching themselves. But by and large, it just feels like this is the one year in which, given all the circumstances, that instead of the pitchers being a little bit out in front of the hitters, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, and you also are dealing with you know, a lot of injuries to pitchers, too. Guys' arms aren't built back up. There was a, uh, only a three-week you know, summer camp 2.0. It wasn't even really three weeks. It was more like two and a half weeks. So, you know, I think the pitching does have a chance to get better as the season gets going. You know, I look at a guy like Masahiro Tanaka for the Yankees, and, you know, he only went, you know, into the third inning because the Yankees are building up his pitch count. Walker Bueller, the same thing, you know, last week against the Astros with his season debut. So I think as guys get a couple cracks on through the rotation, they'll start to pitch deeper into games. So that's another factor you got to look at if you're trying to handicap a matchup. You know, how many starts has that particular pitcher made? Because you would think the more they go, into the season, if they're going to get about 10 or 11, maybe 12 starts max, 
you know, you would think they'd be able to pitch deeper into the game the further along they are. I do agree with you. And then taking a look at a team that they've actually been able to get a little bit of length out of their starter. And I can't believe that we're saying that this team has a winning record as we record this. The Baltimore Orioles, I think that they've by far been the biggest surprise of the 2020 season. They wind up sweeping the Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend. I do think that it just highlights how important it is to be able to get five innings because Tommy Malone is not a good starter. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Wade LeBlanc. He is not a good starter either. But what these guys do is they wind up being able to just eat a couple innings for you. Then instead of having to get, say, 18, 15 outs from your bullpen, instead you only need the bullpen to go like three innings. That's such a huge advantage. And that's one thing that the Baltimore Orioles have going for them that a lot of these teams don't. And they also have going for them the fact that they get to play against the poopy Miami Marlins as well. So that helps about as well. And it's such a short sample size, too. You know, there's always going to be a team that kind of comes out of nowhere. Last year, the Mariners started 13-2, and but they ended up being horrendous because over a full 162, it evens itself out. But the Orioles are so bad, but they don't know they're bad yet. When, you know, you start 5-3, and three, you know, entering Wednesday, you don't know what you're supposed to be. And you start to build up some confidence and the self-belief in yourself that, hey, why not us in what's a wacky season? So, you know, other than you know the Yankees, who they could never be, I think the Yankees have won 18 straight against Baltimore. The Orioles getting, you know, a two out of three homestand win over the Red Sox to begin the year and then sweeping the Rays. You know, they proved that they're going to be kind of in the mix early on here. So I think it just kind of shows you there's going to be a team or two that comes out of nowhere this season because it's only 60 games. You know, you're taking eight teams from each league that make the playoffs. So I think we're bound to get a team that over a full 162, no way they'd make the playoffs. But over 60 games, maybe there's a team or two that somehow finds a way to sneak on in. I am right there with you. And Jake, is there any team that you have your eye on, whether it be for better or for worse as compared to your expectations for the season that you've really been just surprised by? I just mentioned it with the Baltimore Orioles. San Francisco Giants have been a little bit of a nice surprise as well. But is there anything that's standing out to you either for better or for worse? Yeah, I've been impressed by the Rockies, you know, starting seven and two. They've been beating up on the Padres the last couple of nights and they're in the middle of a series right now with the San Francisco Giants. So the fact that, you know, the Rockies, who were not thought to be this, you know, juggernaut of a team by any means, are off to such a good start. That's been impressive. They have a really good lineup. We know about, you know, Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman, you know, to name a couple guys. But you, know, you factor in, you know, Daniel Murphy still being on that team or Matt Kemp, who gets a chance to be kind of their full-time DH this year. They have more you know, star power in that lineup than maybe most people even realize. So I'm impressed by what they've been able to do. And hey, over 60 games, you play half those games at Coors Field where you could just bomb the baseball. They got a shot, so it's impressive that they're off to that that really good start. I am right there with you. I've been very impressed by the Colorado Rockies, and one man that always impresses me, that'd be you, Jake. You do a great job on what used to be SB Nation Radio. I know that you guys have went through a little bit of a rebrand. It is now Sports Map Radio, but the show is still absolutely terrific. You were on from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. That would be 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific weekday. So let the good people at home just know what they're able to get out of you and how they're able to tag along with the show and follow on social media. Yeah, absolutely. At Jake Asman on Twitter is where you can find me. And, you know, as you mentioned, the show is every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And we talk baseball, basketball, football, college football, whatever are the main topics we talk about every morning on SportsMap Radio. And Jake does an absolutely terrific job of talking a little bit of everything. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And now it is that time the podcast to give you a signing total on every game on today's MLB betting board as we touch a ball. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Jake Asman of Sports Map Radio for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do you note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORDY1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and then with 927-928, the game between the Orioles and the Miami Marlins, we have absolutely nothing on that, so 
I will determine what to do with that when the time comes. But we begin with 901-902 on the betting board. As you've got the Minnesota Twins in the road face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Going for the Buckos, it's going to be JT Burbaker, and it is going to be Kenta Maeda going for the Minnesota Twins. If you're looking at the Twins, laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 196. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Buckos, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 178. Now, if you take a look at Burbaker, he's actually been very solid for this team. Two relief appearances. Grand total five innings, did not give up a single run. And you take a look at what he did at the AAA level. He had an ERA south of a 2-5 between AA and AAA during the 2019 season. So he does a very solid job there. There's some redeeming qualities when you take a look at him. But you take a look at Kenta Maeda. Looked very good to begin the season. I really like the way that he's been able to come out and fire. This is someone that it sometimes is a little bit questionable as to the length that you're going to be able to get out of Mr. Maeda. But with that said, he is backed up by a lineup that has just all sorts of mashers on this team. You've obviously got Max Kepler in his four home runs. Nelson Cruz is hitting nearly a 400 with 15 RBI. Luis Arias last year did a terrific job of getting on base. A little bit of a cold start from this year, but you even take a look at guys like Eddie Rosario along with Ori Palanco. Gotta think that they're gonna be able to get the ship right. And then when you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to get a home run out of Josh Bell in the ninth. That's very nice because he winds up being one of three players that wind up leaving the game for the Pittsburgh Pirates from the starting lineup on Wednesday that wound up having a batting average above a 182. And this is a 222. Kyle Moran is a 220. And Eric Gonzalez all the way up to a 261. That's absolutely putrid. Now you got to think at some point things are going to get righted. You can't think that Gregory Polanco is going to be going one for 19 the entire season. Kevin Newman is going to do a little bit of a better job of getting on base. But with that said, when you take a look at the Pirates as well, they were able to save part of their bullpen because Trevor Williams was able to go seven strong, but it's still not very good for the Minnesota Twins. They've been able to do a solid job. And for Kenta Maeda, with him giving up just two runs over the course of 11 innings, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there. But I just think that Burbaker is going to wind up getting a little bit lit up in his first start. This is a Minnesota Twins team that they just do a great job of making solid contact. So I do think that this is a good spot to be able to take the Minnesota Twins on the run line. If you're looking at this Minnesota Twins run line, you're going to be finding it anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. So we're going to be riding with that along with this little over. 903-904 on the betting board. You've got the San Francisco Giants and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. San Francisco is yet to announce a starter, but if you're playing process of elimination and it's time in the rotation, it's probably going to be Mr. Drew Smiley. Meanwhile, Kyle Freeland is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. With the Rockies, I'm seeing them offshore right around minus 175 and the San Francisco Giants between plus 160 and plus 165 as of right now. There are no numbers in Las Vegas on this game, but I am seeing an offshore total of 12.5 as well, over and under, both at minus 110 as it is going to be Kyle Freeland going up against the mystery starter for the San Francisco Giants. For Kyle Freeland, two years ago, he was absolutely dominant at Coors Field. He was your first five under King with regards to being able to cash the unders. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a bunch that they're off to a very good start here in 2020. Nolan Arenado was able to get another home run on Wednesday. He has been white hot for this bunch. You take a look at what you're able to get just from a batting average perspective from this team as well. You've got Trevor Story, who's been able to give the team four home runs. He's hitting right around 275. Charlie Blackman above a 350. And then even Daniel Murphy, despite the fact that he's won a little bit cold in recent games, he's hitting above a 300. Garrett Hampson is hitting a 300. Chris Owings is hitting nearly a 300. And then on the flip side for the San Francisco Giants, this is a bunch that they've been putting some runs up on the board. Mikey Stremski still hitting a little bit above 300. Well, I do think that regression is going to be in for he, along Donovan Solano, who's hitting above a 430. Darren Ruff, you got to think, is going to be able to fall back to earth a little bit as well. You also think that there has to be a little bit more for Pablo Sandoval, Brandon Crawford, and Steven Duger. We're all hitting below the Mendoza line at this point. Brandon Belt has been able to find a little bit of something for this team. He was able to have a big home run in the fourth inning for the team on Wednesday. And for the San Francisco Giants, you just have to wonder how long they're going to be able to just run the system in which they've got all their starters giving you five innings or less. They were able to get five strong out of Logan Webb, so that was a little bit of a positive, but you got to feel like this is a bullpen that's starting to get taxed a little bit. For the Colorado Rockies, they've been very strong in the bullpen. Guys like Jario Diaz and company have really been able to come through. You've got to think that Wade Davis, who wound up having a little bit of a lone save on Friday, but by and large has been pretty solid, is going to be able to come in and shut the door on this one. Certainly going to be looking at the under in this spot, and I'm going to be taking a look at a Rockies run line as of right now that is not on the board, but looking at the Rockies run line along with this little under, given the circle circumstances. 905-906 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Walker Texas Rangers sitting the road to face off against the Oakland A's. 
Mike straight fires to your bankroll and or Mike straight fires to opponent's bankrolls for fading him is going to be going for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, Mike Miner goes for the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers are anywhere between plus 132 and plus 139 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the A's, it's anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. And your total on this game is 8.5. Over and under, both at minus 110. Seems like the offense finally came alive for both of these teams with the Oakland A's. They now have two walk-off grand slams in two weeks for this team. Ramon Loreno has been able to do a good job for the team, hitting right around 300. He's been able to give the team three home runs so far this year. Matt Olson has also been doing a solid job with regards to home runs. He was able to get his second of the year, but hitting a buck 58, 360 on base, but he's just not hitting for average to save his life. Same goes for Matt Chapman. Chapman's hitting right around 8 2 10 for this bunch. Robbie Grossman, Stephen Piscotti, both hitting between a 230 and a 250. So it's been a little bit rough there. And for the Texas Rangers, they certainly have had their issues as well. Joey Gallo has been able to give you a little bit of something. Three of home runs. He's got an on base percentage that's hovering right around 400. The Todd father, Todd Frazier, has been able to. Do a little bit of a better job as well, hitting above a 250. So that's been rock solid. But Robinson Chirinos, Nick Solak, Sinchuchu, Elvis Andrews, and Steve Heineman, all guys hitting at the Mendoza line or below. Danny Santana, along with Willie Calhoun, two big pieces to the 2019 lineup. They have been dealing with injuries, and neither guy has really been able to give you a whole lot of something. And for the Oakland A's, what you do have to like about this team is their bullpen. They wound up having to go very, very deep into it on Wednesday because they were only able to get three and a third innings from Sean Manan, no question. That is not necessarily going to be rock solid. And for the Texas Rangers, they didn't necessarily get the world's greatest start out of Kyle Gibson either, so that is something. Now, you do have the marine layer that is typically out when you take a look at the ballpark in Oakland, but I do think that this is a spot in which both these teams are going to be able to generate some runs, and I think that in the end, the Oakland A's should be able to prevail. So, we're going to go with Canada's new favorite team, since the Toronto Blue Jays are no longer in Canada for the 2020 season, so we are going with the A's, and we are going to be going with this total over as well. 907-908 on the betting board is up next. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing off the LA Angels. You've got Dylan Bundy, don't call me L, going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker goes for the Mariners. Total in this game is 9 over and under is at minus 110. If you're looking at the Angels, laying minus 165. Meanwhile, the plus price here for the Mariners anywhere between plus 150 and plus 155. It's really hard to have any faith whatsoever in Taiwan Walker. Actually gave a good start in his last outing, so that is something that is a redeeming quality for the sponge, but with that said, Taiwan Walker has just had a really tough time staying healthy throughout his career. Each of the last two years have just been derailed with that regard. And for Taiwan Walker, what else is big for him is just being able to keep the walks down so far three walks to 10 and a third inning so that's not too bad and for Dylan Bundy this is someone that he certainly gives up a bunch of jacks so far just one home run give it up in 12 and two thirds innings that has been very resurgent for him but throughout his career he's given up more than 1.5 home runs per nine innings the punch outs have been solid so far this year 15 strikeouts so you do like to see that and for the LA Angels you've got some firepower in the lineup as you do have Mike Trout back he was able to get a home run off a of paternity leave on Tuesday that was obviously a very good sign and then you've got David Fletcher along with Brian Goodwin, a pair of guys that are combining it above a 325. Albert Pujols is absolutely ancient, but he was able to give the team a home run a few days ago. And then you got Tommy Lasello, who you think is going to be able to find it a little bit more. He wound up being out of the lineup for the team on Wednesday, but towards the first half of the 2019 season was one of the better hitters that you were going to find in the American League. And for the Seattle Mariners, you have to like the fact that you've got a lot of speed with this team. J.P. Crawford at the top of the fold has an on-base percentage above a 400. You've got Shed Long, who's got wheels, but he's not necessarily hitting for a good average along with Malik Smith, but the Kyles have been able to come through. Kyle Lewis, Kyle Seeger, both with an on-base percentage above a 380. And for Kyle Lewis, this guy has been absolutely terrific. Three home runs so far this year. He wound up having 6-18 and 18 games last season, so for career. He's averaging about a home run every three and a half games. He is a really special player. He's someone that the Seattle Mariners are looking to build around, but the Mariners are also looking to build around a lineup that is going to need to carry a bullpen that, let's face it, it is very, very bad. But the LA Angels, their bullpen is very, very bad. But I have a lot more faith in the LA Angels, especially with a guy like Jason Castro being able to give this team a little bit of pop as well. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the LA Angels, perhaps in a run line spot. It might turn into money line, but as of right now, I'm seeing the Angels right around minus one five and minus 110 on the run line, so I'm leaning there, and I'm going to be going with this total over as well. 909-910 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Cincinnati Reds, and they are going to be hitting the road face off against the Cleveland Indians. Luis Castillo is going to be going for the Cincinnati Reds. Meanwhile, 
One Carlos Carrasco is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. If you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 118 and minus 122. Meanwhile, if you're looking at Cincinnati, if you are on to Cincinnati, that's anywhere between plus 108 and plus 112. You're drawing this game ranging between 7.5 and, and 8. On the 7.5, your over is juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120, with the under anywhere between even a minus 105 on the 8s. Under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Over is between even and plus 105. And this is a situation in which I do have to trust in Luis Castillo a little bit more. He is not quite the same on the road as he is at home, but he's still pretty solid. He does give up a little bit more hard contact when he is on the road, but with the Cleveland Indians, this is a team that has not been able to generate a whole lot of offense, and that is putting it very, very politely as you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. Francisco Lindor is a trio of home runs. He's hitting at 231, but all but one of the Cleveland Indians games so far this year have went under. That's absolutely remarkable. 12 out of 13 games, and for the Cincinnati Reds, they got completely blanked by the Cleveland Indians and Mike Clevenger on Wednesday. You got to think that they're going to be able to find a little bit of something. You just haven't been able to get a whole lot out of Shogo Akiyama. He comes over from the MPB. He's hitting a 212 right now. Now, Nick Cassianos along with Mike Moussakis have been very solid with Moussakis. He wound up getting the day off on Wednesday, but you've got Cassianos who's hitting a 366. He's got four plus home runs. Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez along with Matt Davidson and Josh Van Meter, Kirk Casale, Freddie Galvis, and you've also got Cologne as well. These guys are all hitting a 220 or lower. It's been just absolutely remarkable. And for the Cleveland Indians, you've got the Santanas and Carlos and Domingo. who are both hitting below the Mendoza line right now. Jose Ramirez has been able to give the team a batting average right around a 275. That's been solid. But Cesar Hernandez is really the only guy that's been able to come up with some big hits for this team. And Brady Zimmer has an on-base percentage right around a 375. But I do think that this could be a good spot for both of these teams to be able to bust out a little bit with the Reds. They certainly have a... I guess you could call it a little bit suspect bullpen. I'm not as high on Rossi Glacius as many, but you still do have some solid players on the team. And then when you take a look at the Cleveland Indians, right hand wound up getting used up on Wednesday, which is actually a good thing for them because Nick Whitgren is a guy that I trust in a little bit more than him. Adam Simber is going to be available as well. But with Mr. Carrasco, this is someone that certainly gives up some higher contact and that has shown through in 2020. He has given up three home runs and 12 innings. Obviously a very good story for him to be able to get back out there on the diamond. And he's already got 15 strikeouts so far this year. But with that said, he wound up giving up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. I think that that plays into the hands of the Cincinnati Reds. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. So we are going to be going with the red legs in this spot. And we're going to be going with this total over as well. 9-11, 9-12 is a skip. That was supposed to be the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. That game will not be played on this day. So we move on to 9-13, 9-14. The Philadelphia Phillies sitting the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Guess what? That's something that won't be played as well. So we go to 9-15, 9-16 on the betting board. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Atlanta Braves. Tuki Toussaint will go for the Bravos. Meanwhile, Nate Pearson is on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're looking at this total, it is 9. The over is just minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. With the Braves, you're finding them anywhere between minus 130 and minus 136. And I do take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot because Nate Pearson looked very good at his first start of the season against the Washington Nationals. He was able to go five strong innings, gave up two hits, no walks. This guy is some very electric stuff. He was very good in the minor leagues, 23-year-old fireballer. And then with Tuki Toussaint, he certainly does have some lively stuff, but with that said, he is someone that sometimes doesn't do the best job of being able to harness it. He's made two appearances so far this year, one of which was a start. 8-10 ERA. That is not necessarily the best. He's always just had an issue with walks. In his first two years in the league, he's got right around a 1.7 strikeout to walk rate. Now, he does a good job of being able to get those punch outs right around 10 per 9 innings, but he just sometimes loses command. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, you do have to like what this team is building, especially with Teoscar Hernandez at the top. Four home runs, 278 average. That's absolutely terrific. You can't forget about guys like Kevon Biggio and company, but you've got a couple guys that are not necessarily holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to batting average. He, along with Vlad Guerrero Jr., Danny Jansen, Brandon Drury, along with Alfred in the outfield, they are all hitting a 222 or lower. Randall Grichik has been solid, though. He's hitting nearly a 300. You do have to like what you're getting out of Lord Scoriel as well. Hasn't necessarily been walking a lot, but he's been able to get on base. And then when you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. is looking to find it along with Ozzy Albies. Both these guys hitting a 240 or lower. Nick Markakis is back with this team, but you gotta think it's gonna take him a little bit of time to shake off the rust. And then Freddie Freeman along with Austin Riley are both hitting below a 200. That is not necessarily great. You're just not getting much out of Echeverria either. Ender Enciarte out there in the outfield has been a little bit of a hot mess. Now you gotta love what Dansby Swanson is providing. A little bit above a 300, but he's starting to go cold 
as well with the Toronto Blue Jays. The bullpen is a little bit taxed because you right now have Ken Giles out of the fold, but I do think that this is a spot in which Pearson is going to be able to give some good length. And for the Atlanta Braves, they should be pretty locked and loaded with regards to their bullpen as well. They did wind up using up Shane Green on Wednesday, but they only used him for 15 pitches, and you still have Darren O'Day and company out there, so I'm going to wind up taking this total under, but I think that the Toronto Blue Jays have the advantage. I think that Tucson is not going to be able to go as deep as Pearson just because he jacks up his pitch count with all those walks, so we're going to go with the Jays along with this total under. 9-17-9-18 on the bang board is up next. We've got the Kansas City Royals playing host the Chicago Cubs. Tyler Chatwood goes for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Brad Keller is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals. With the Royals, you're going to be able to get them a plus price in this spot. With the Kansas City Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 150 and plus 155. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Cubbies, you're going to be finding pretty much minus 165 across the board with the total on this game at 9. The over juice is minus 120 and the under is even. Seeking 9.5 pop up there as well. That under is minus 120 and the over is even. Tyler Chatwood has actually been quite remarkable this year. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but he has certainly been able to find it. You take a look at what he's done over the course of two starts. He really was able to blank the Brewers in the first one and then the second one equally as magnificent. This is someone that throughout his career has had his walks issues, but four walks in 12 and two-thirds innings, not necessarily the greatest, but not necessarily awful. 19 punch-outs to go with it in 12 and two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, for Brad Keller, this is going to be his first start of 2020, so you got to think that he's going to be on a little bit of a limited pitch count, and this is someone that he typically is able to go a little bit deeper. Walks are also an issue for him, though. 1.7K to walk rate during the 2019 season, but... Does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. That is a little bit of redeeming quality with him. He wound up giving up 15 home runs over the course of 165 and a third innings and is significantly better home to road. And with the Kansas City Royals, I've been pleasantly surprised with this bullpen. They wound up giving up a couple runs to the Chicago Cubs on Wednesday, but with the Kansas City Royals, they also do have more of their trustworthy bullpen arms that are going to be available in this game. Trevor Rosenthal doesn't necessarily sound trustworthy, but he is going to be available along with guys like Tyler Zuber and company. And for the Chicago Cubs, this is a bunch that they wound up being able to avoid their bullpen as well. But with the Chicago Cubs, it feels like something is starting to be clicked. They didn't have a home run in the team's game on Wednesday, but you were able to get some guys that did a good job of being able to get on base. Chris Bryant has been able to push his on-base percentage with 310. Anthony Rizzo, 434 on base despite a 250 batting average. Javi Baez it's been a little bit cold, but he was able to give the team two hits and two RBI on Wednesday. And for Kyle Schwarber, a little bit of a slog, but you still have guys like Ian Apple company that are doing a solid job. And for the Kansas City Rails at the top, you've got Whit Merrifield hitting a 283. You've all of a sudden got Adelberto Mondesi who's been able to get on with the 271 batting average. His amount of walks is not necessarily great. And then you've got Alex Gordon along with Nicky Lopez and a few others that aren't necessarily hitting for a lot of average, but having Salvador Perez back is going to be huge as well. That not only helps out the lineup, but that helps out the pitching as well, which I think is a little bit of an underrated aspect of this. I do think that Chatwood, with his walks issues just being something that I'm always concerned about, is something to take note of. I do think that this is a spot in which Brad Keller is going to be good for the Kansas City Royals. I do think that the Royals are going to be able to put up some runs in this spot, so we're going to take this total over, and we're going to be taking the plus price here with Kansas City. We are going to be moving on to game number 919-920 on the betting board, as you've got the Houston Astros, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, was supposed to be Zach Greinke versus Zach Gallon, which would have been pretty much old ace versus new ace for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That would have been an absolutely terrific matchup, but instead, you're going to have Zach Gallon, who's going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Getting the start in this one, it is going to be Brandon Blaylock, who's going to be going for the Houston Astros. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 120 and minus 128. Meanwhile, if you are looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, that is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 118, your total on this game is 9. Overjuice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Unders anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. And I really do like what Zach Allen's able to bring to the table. He has never had an outing in which he has given up more than three earned runs. So that is obviously terrific. Now you got to think that the Houston Astros are going to be out for blood after they wound up giving up a double-digit amount of runs to the Arizona the Diamondbacks. That was not necessarily great. And for the Houston Astros, you do have a couple scuffling bats in the lineup. George Springer along with Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman all hitting a 220 or lower. 
hmm, I don't think that there's any trash cans out there. I know that there's going to be a bunch of angry Houston Astros fans. I'm just giving you a tough time with that. But you take a look at who is hitting. Carlos Correa, on-base percentage just below 500. He's been absolutely terrific. Abraham Toro has not necessarily been doing the job so far this year, but he was able to get a home run on Wednesday. That's an encouraging sign for this offense. And then when you take a look at the flip side for the Arizona Diamondbacks, well, you've got a couple guys that have really been coming through with the bat. That'd be the Marte Parte, Sterling Marte, along with Cattell Marte. Both of these guys have been doing a great job with a batting average above a 275. Chris Walker has been able to do a solid job as well with Mr. Walker. He's got an on-base percentage right around 8360. And then from there, it's really a fall-off. But David Peralta has been able to do a little bit of a better job recently. Wound up getting a home run in the team's game on Wednesday. Stephen Voigt is now at the catcher spot. He's been able to do a little bit better than Carson Kelly at the plate as well. So, got to think that that's going to give this team a little bit of a boost. And Cole Calhoun was finally able to go yard on Wednesday as well. I do think that we are going to see the Houston Astros give up a couple more runs in the spot because they really had to go deep into that bullpen. I just don't know what sort of a start they're going to be getting in general in this one just because when you take a look at Blelock, hopefully I'm saying that last name correctly, he had right around a 3-6, 3-7-ish ERA out there in the minor leagues during the 2019 campaign. Here in 2020, he's made two appearances so far and he was able to get the win in both of them. Five and a third innings. He wound up giving up just one run in the process. Six punch outs, but he also has given up three walks. That is a little bit of an issue and this is someone that he's not necessarily going to give you the best length in the world either. So for that reason, I am going to be taking a look at this little over and we're going to be riding with the Arizona Diamondbacks. 921-922 on the batting board is up next. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be hitting the Road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Gio Gonzalez goes for the Sox. Josh Lindblom for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 9. Over to minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Brew Crew, anywhere between plus 120 and plus 123. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 135. And I'm going to be taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers in this spot. They were able to get a little bit of a charge from Adrian Hauser, giving them an absolutely terrific start. They wound up having to use Josh Hader, but Hader used fewer than 20 pitches, so he can come back for... This game in a one-inning situation. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, all of a sudden Orlando Arcia has become the best hitter for this team. I mean, par for the course here in 2020, but Orlando Arcia is hitting a 350. He's been absolutely terrific. You've been able to get something out of Ben Gamble as well. He was able to hit a home run back when the series was in Milwaukee. You've got Ryan Ely, Justin Smoke, along with Jed Gurko. Let's see here, Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich. Omar Narvaez, who wound up getting the day off yesterday, along with Yelich as well. These guys are all hitting below the Mendoza line. It has been a hot mess, to say the least. But Manny Pino, whenever he's out there at the catcher spot, on base percentage above a 400, he's been able to give this team a little bit of something over the Chicago White Sox. This is a team that entered into the big leagues on Wednesday with the top batting average out there in the MLB. They just weren't able to get anything generated on Wednesday as they wound up going 1-for-3 with men in scoring position. You do still have Eli Jimenez. He's got some great power. He's hitting nearly a 300. Yohan Mankata, Luis Robert, both hitting above a 325, and you got to think that Robert is going to be a Rookie of the Year contender. Yasmani Grandel, the former Milwaukee Burr, he's been able to do a solid job. James McCann is getting on base. Lurie's Garcia hitting a 300 as well. So you certainly do have some formidable Chicago White Sox. And then with Josh Lindblom, this is someone that made his first start in the MLB in quite a while. He was the KBO MVP a few years ago. Three two-thirds innings, he wound up getting five strikeouts, and he was able to do a good job of that, but he also gave out three walks, which is a little bit of an issue, and for Gio Gonzalez, Seven and third inning so far this year. He's made one start and one long relief appearance, and he's given up four walks. He's given up a home run. Still has some swing and miss stuff, but certainly a guy that the Brewers are familiar with because he wound up spending the last couple years in Milwaukee. I think that this is a very good opportunity for the Brewers to finally bust out with the bat, seeing a guy that they recognize. Now, both these bullpens are pretty solid, but with that said, I'm going to wind up going with this total over. I don't think that either of these starting pitchers are going to be able to make it past the fifth inning, so we are going to be going with the over, and we are going to be going with the Brew crew in this spot. We move on to game number 923-924 on the betting board. That was supposed to be the Detroit Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. That is a game that's presently off the board. 925-926 is up next. You've got the New York Yankees and they are hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a game in which was supposed to be taking place last week, but obviously COVID-19 had some other issues. Zach Eflin is currently listed as a Philadelphia Phillies starter and for the New York Yankees, it is Jordan Montgomery, but I am seeing some reports that this pitch 
pitching matchup might be subject to change, so you want to take note of that. And as of right now, as you're seeing it, the New York Yankees are anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155 favorites. And with the Philadelphia Phillies, anywhere between plus 135 and plus 141. Total on this game is 9.5. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the under, that is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And as I am pulling up my handy-dandy Twitter right now, what it looks like for this matchup is that is that these are the two starting pitchers. I have no idea why this was pulled off the board in a few places, so I'm certainly going to be keeping my eyes on that. But with the New York Yankees, we saw it in the double dip. This is a team that they're able to generate offense on the fly. You've got Aaron Judge, who is right now leading the league in home runs. TJ LeMay, who's hitting above a 4 on John Carlos Sin, hitting a 300, 462 on base for him. Heck, you even got guys like Luke Voigt hitting a 275 at this point. Gary Sanchez has been a liability with the bat, but Gio Urshela hitting a 333 and so much more. And then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They were able to get a home run out of Bryce Harper in that double dip. D.D. Gregorius, former New York Yankee. You got to think that he's going to want to show up. He's able to hit a 300 for this bunch so far this year. Jay Bruce has been used as a DH a little bit out there in the outfield. The Tad seems like he's being able to preserve himself a little bit. Scott Kingery is someone that you know is going to be able to pick up the batting average. Only getting a 100 right now. Reese Hoskins only hit right around like a 230 to a 235 last year. He's picking up right where he left off. Buck 58 batting average, but he's only been able to draw walks at a 407. And then when you take a look at Jordan Montgomery, this is someone that had a terrific first start in the year against the Boston Red Sox. Five two-thirds innings. He wound up giving up one run. Meanwhile, for Zach Eflin, you just don't know what the Eflin you're going to be able to get out of him. Yes, I hope that you guys enjoyed that joke, but you take a look at what he did during the 2019 season. 10 and 13, 413 ERA, and it was really just a tale of two seasons with him. You just didn't know what you were going to get game to game out of him, because in his last two starts of the season, he gives up a combined eight runs. The two starts prior, he gave up a combined four runs, but they were all unearned. He looked actually quite solid towards the beginning of September and into August. He wound up giving up three runs or fewer in, I believe it was something like seven straight starts. And then the start before that, he had given up 10 runs to the Atlanta Braves. This guy is a very much all or nothing pitcher. He is one of the most sporadic guys that you're going to find out there in the league. And I think that he's going to just get eaten alive by the New York Yankees. Now, the Yankees did use up quite a few of their bullpen arms in that double dip. But then again, we saw the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen rear its ugly head as well. To say that it's not good would be very generous, and I do think that runs are going to be a plenty in this spot, so for that reason, we are going to be going with the New York Yankees here, and we are going to be going with the total over as well. And then 927-928 on the betting board is the final game. That is the poopy Baltimore Orioles playing against the COVID Marlins. As I'm seeing it right now on ESPN, Wade LeBlanc is going to be going for the Baltimore Orioles. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, it is to be determined. I would have to think that Jordan Yamimoto is going to be a candidate to be able to get the start. But as of right now, it is not listed on the betting board, despite Twitter saying that it is going to be Jordan Yamimoto. And this is a spot in which, with Jordan Yamimoto going, I might be taking a look at the Miami Marlins. I thought that when I bet game two of the Miami Marlins game against the Baltimore Orioles on Wednesday that I was going to be getting Jordan Yamimoto. Instead, I just wound up getting an Orioles team that can't hit to save their lives. How about this? In this series so far, a grand total of 23 innings, one run for the Baltimore Orioles. Thanks for showing up, boys. I mean, it has been absolutely terrible. And the Miami Marlins, they certainly didn't light the world on fire either with their offense. They have scored a combined seven runs in the series, but it's been good enough for three wins. Brett Anderson was able to give this team a home run in game one. That was a difference maker in that one. Jesus Aguiar back to hitting below the Mendoza line, but he was able to get a home run earlier in the series. And you take a look at the Miami Marlins. You had one guy that wound up starting in the second game of this double dip, other than Ryan LaFarnway, who I think has like three at-bats so far this year, that is currently hitting above a 300. Magnarius Sierra is that guy, so I mean, good for Mr. Sierra, but you've got a bunch of guys like Monte Harrison. I remember watching him with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers because he began his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. I think it was the 2013 season. I was still in college. He had a buck 43 in single-A baseball. I mean, this guy is absolutely terrible at the plate. Corey Dickerson, he's hitting like a 240. list goes on and on. But then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. Answer Alberto's hitting a 326. You've been able to get something out of Jose Iglesias. He was a little bit banged up in recent days, hitting a 458. That's actually quite impressive. Pat Vileka has been able to give this team a little bit of something as well. But then you take a look at Mr. Cedric Mullins, Brian Holiday, 
You've got Vasquez at the shortstop spot. Our good buddy Chris Crush Davis, DJ Stewart. Not only are these guys hitting below the Mendoza line, all these guys I just mentioned are hitting below a buck fifty. And then you've got Austin, the Sehays kid, hitting a buck fifty-eight. Anthony Santander's hitting at two fifteen. It's been absolutely awful. And then you take a look at Wade LeBlanc. He's not terrible. He's certainly not great, but he's not terrible. He's made two starts so far this year, one and zero record, four hundred nine ERA. What you like about him is that he's going to be able to give you a thirty-five plus innings, and that's going to be big because with the Baltimore Orioles, we know that their bullpen is not good. With the Miami Marlins, they certainly had to dig into theirs. So it's going to wind up depending on the price in this one. If you're able to get like a total on this game of nine or fewer, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under. Nobody is hitting right now. So, I mean, there is that. But if the Baltimore Orioles are a slight favorite, I'll probably be taking a look at them. If you're once again getting a good price on the fish, I would say plus 125 or higher is sort of that number that I have in mind right now. It might vary a little bit based on what is going to be happening because there is so much flux with the Miami Marlins bullpen. So as always, check back on my Twitter feed at Jerry one for set plays when I have them. But with that said, right now the arbitrary number that I have in mind is plus 125, which would be a take on the Miami Marlins. Like I said, check back on my Twitter feed, which is also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. A big thanks to our buddy Jake Asman of Sports Map Radio for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.